Got it. Got this one on. Last week I didn't have, I don't know if you looked or not, but I didn't have any volume for some reason. It was just dead. So it was yet another one that God didn't want the world to hear. That's right. He didn't want you to find it, Mike. (laughs) We are now moving into the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, uh, the first four verses. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Romans and the words that Paul has written for us to ponder over this morning. Father God, we pray that your Holy Spirit, that he would enlighten our hearts and minds to be able to better understand these scriptures, Lord, to be able to apply them to our lives, to be able to make them a part of who we are each and every day. Lord God, I pray that your wisdom would help me this morning, that your spirit would guide my tongue, and that the words I speak be of you and not of myself. For it is in Christ's precious name. Amen. So as those of you that were here on Mother's Day know that I didn't, I didn't do a Mother's Day message. And uh, not going to do a Father's Day message. So I, I, I kind of landed in the middle between Mother's Day and Father's Day. And sort of going to put a hybrid Mother's and Father's Day type message together this morning. That's... That's my desire, and I want to combine them, and I thought that this was a very good passage or passages to do that with. When I talked to Beth yesterday, and I, I, I mentioned to you that I talked to her, Beth shared with me moments of her youth and times of her youth and the fact that she would walk across the field, which was a field. She lived here on Main Street, but yet there were fields across the field to church. And every Sunday, her mother and father made sure that she walked across the field and she made it to church. And I I think that's very important. And she talked about how important that was in the very faith that she has now and where she is at in her relationship with Jesus Christ, even to this very day. And it's so important that those seeds get planted. And we have a lot of young folks in here. And we have a lot of folks that are grandparents and aunts and uncles and great-grandparents. And it's all of our duties to make sure seeds get planted in their lives because those seeds that get planted at that very young age, they're fertilized and watered and they grow and they flourish and they ripen into something beautiful later on in life. And you've heard me ask this question many times to members in here. How many of you are in church today that never attended church as a child, ever? And I'll ask it this morning. One person. One person. 
It does happen, and praise God for that to happen. But so many times, it is handed down through generation to the next to the next. And that's the way that God works, and that's the way He works through His covenant people. And so it's very important that we understand what it is and how we plant those seeds in the younger ones and how we nurture that progression that they have in their lives. But we want to make sure the correct seeds get planted. And that's the focus of this morning's message. If any of you plant garden, and as you all know, I gave that up years ago because the weeding is just way too much. So hats off to you if you do. But if you plant garden, you know you get the exact type of seed that you want, right? Whether, whatever the case may be. I remember my grandma and grandpa used to keep their tomato seeds from year to year to year, and they never lost that type of tomato. That's what they wanted. So you're very specific in the seed because you want a specific fruit to grow out of that seed when you plant it. You don't want to plant seeds that's going to grow something that's not going to produce fruit that you don't want or that's going to be useless or wasteful. So we have to make the extra effort for two reasons. Number one, we have to make sure that seeds get planted because if no seeds are planted, there will be no fruit. But we need to make sure that the correct seeds are planted because I will tell you, that by planting incorrect seeds is just as harmful as planting no seeds. Planting incorrect seeds will lead to the same place or the same end result as planting no seed whatsoever. So there is a lot riding on the correct seeds that are to be planted. And we need to understand that. And we're going to see how that works in this morning's passages that we're looking into. There is a clear and undeniable link between a child's salvation and a parent's teaching. And so oftentimes we leave it to the educators, right? We leave it to the Sunday school teachers or whoever does Wednesday youth group or the preacher or whatever the case may be. But that link is between mom and dad and child. And I want you to know that. That's our responsibility as parents, as grandparents, even as friends of close children. God has given us individually that duty. And we're going to see how it played out this morning. We're going to see how it played out and young Timothy, and Paul wrote to young Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 3.14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So here we see that Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue in what he learned, and don't forget from whom you learned it. Don't forget that. But you've learned a lot. You have correct beliefs and know and remember from whom you learned it. 
So do we know who taught Timothy? We do. We do. And Paul tells us in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, but we'll just deal with 5. I am reminded, here he's telling him again, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. It's a beautiful picture of covenant theology, how God passes it from one generation to the next generation to the next. And this is the very reason why we baptize infants. It it signifies the way God goes about doing this. They they are raised up in that environment, and God hands it off from one generation to the next and to the next. And so here we see that Timothy was taught by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Now we know from Acts, Timothy's dad was an unbelieving Greek. He took no part in the godly education of young Timothy. But the faith that Lois and Eunice had was passed down or passed on to young Timothy. So now let's go back and let's look at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed from your godly mother and grandmother. John, is there another slide there? There should have been. It's not showing up on mine. Yes, thank you. It's weird. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the power that comes from your mouth to your child's ears into their hearts. It is the wisdom for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. That's how it works, generally speaking. So remember now, Lois and Eunice, they weren't teaching Timothy the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament to teach Timothy. They were teaching him the sacred writings of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned by name in the Old Testament. And yet they had the wisdom to be able to teach Timothy from those Old Testament passages about faith in Jesus Christ looking forward. That's a lot of insight. That's a lot of wisdom that was passed on by these two wonderful women to their child and grandchild. And in so doing, they were making him wise for salvation through faith In Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. Jesus was not a stumbling stone for Lois, or Eunice, or Timothy. And we saw last week how Jesus was a stumbling stone and continues to be a stumbling stone to Jews to this very day. Wasn't that case with respect to Lois, and Eunice, and Timothy? They were able to teach him correctly. They planted the correct seeds to be able to lead to salvation that only came through faith in Christ Jesus. In this case, or in Timothy's case, unfortunately, all the teaching landed squarely on the shoulders of Lois and Eunice. 
And oh, how often, oh, how often, this is sadly the case. And it is sad. The teaching should, at some early stage in Timothy's life, have shifted to the shoulders of his father. But it didn't happen. And that is the way it is so much in our society. Our father or fathers are to be the spiritual leaders in the household. It's the way God planned for it to be. But how often we fail. How often we shirk that responsibility and give it to mom. That's something that you can deal with your mom about. Guys, that's not the way God planned for it to be. That's not how he set up the family structure. He set it up to begin with dad and flow through mom with both teaching the child, but the main responsibility should be on the shoulders of the father. And when we shirk that responsibility, we are neglecting the most important duty God has given to us as a dad. The most. And I failed at it too. I'm not standing up here throwing stones. Stephanie taught our boys way more earlier in their life than I ever did. And I am guilty as charged. And I don't know why that happens. I don't truly understand why we shirk and neglect our responsibilities. For some reason, I think we tend to think that teaching our children about God and faith is some affront to our manliness. Some of our front to our manhood or some sort of a an assault on our, our manhood. Or it will make us look soft in some way. That we're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to teach our boys to be tough. And we talk about things with respect to Jesus and eternity and, and life hereafter. Well, that softens us a little bit. And, and we're made to look like less of a man. We're all going to deal with it sometimes, boys. And you're all going to be soft at some point in time. We put up a facade, and that's what it is. It's a facade. And we try to hide the fact that deep down inside, we're just little boys. We're just the same little boys that are caught up into large frames and overweight men that put on this, this lie that we're tougher than we really are. And it is. It's true. And whenever we meet God face to face, we're going to see it like no other time in our lives. And we're going to wish that we hadn't shirked our responsibility as men to teach our sons, to teach our daughters, to teach our grandsons, to teach our granddaughters, to plant those seeds that's going to lead to eternal life. We have no problem throwing a baseball or softball to them that leads nowhere. Nowhere. 
If they're in the top 1% in the country, they may get a scholarship to a college. But beyond that, it's done. We enjoy that. But to sit them down at the table and go through God's Word and to plant seeds that leads to eternity, we push back on that. Unfortunately, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren's eternal life depends upon what we teach them and the plant and the seeds that we plant within them. This gets us back to the types of seeds that are planted and how we want to make sure, A, that we plant the seeds and B, that they are the correct seeds. So many times... We begin teaching our children at a very young age that they need to bring their behavior into conformity with Christ, right? And there is an extremely dangerous position that we have to look out for. Whenever we teach them that, they get the idea and the understanding That in order to be a Christian, I must do this and not do that. That's not right. It's not. We're teaching them incorrectly. Don't get me wrong. We have to bring their behavior into conformity. No question. At the expense of a red hind end. All right? So don't think that I ever say that you don't bring their behavior in conformity because it has to be done. And if you don't do it, they will never have a relationship with God. I will put that out there very clearly. If you don't make sure your children conform to rules, they will never conform to God. Can't happen. Because they become their own self-sustaining God and they refuse to have anyone over them. Ever. However, we should never bring them into conformity with the understanding that by their conformity to rules that they will be saved. And it's a very important distinction to make. Do we teach our children that their behavior is the root that grows into salvation? Or do we teach our children that their behavior is the fruit that flows from salvation? I'll ask the question again. Do we teach our children that their behavior is the root that grows into salvation? Or do we teach our children that their behavior is the fruit that flows from salvation? Hopefully, 100% of you will say it's the latter. Because that would be the correct response. If we teach them the former, then we've got a problem. Then we've planted seeds that's going to grow into rotten fruit that's never going to lead to salvation. I hope that you can see the big difference here. Because the fruit that if we are good people, 
or they are good children, then God is going to love them and they're going to be saved based on that, will lead them to eternal damnation the same as if we plant no, no seeds at all. If they grow up believing that their salvation is dependent upon their conformity to God's rules, then they will grow into self-righteous and legalistic human beings that have no need for a Savior. None. Because they're saving themselves. They believe that God loves them based on what they do, not on what Jesus has done for them. It's a very important distinction. Alternatively, if they are taught that they are saved by faith, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and trust in His righteousness and not their own, then their actions only conform according to the strength and power that comes from Christ to be able to change. It's a difference in justification and sanctification, but it's so hard for us to mesh those two together. It's so hard for us to understand the difference between the two. I can remember... As a child, my grandmother would wring chickens' necks. I'm sure some of you in here will remember when that happened, right? And I couldn't have been more than four. And I I can still see it in my mind's eye. It, It made a lasting impact with me. If you've ever seen it happen, it will make a lasting impact with you as well. Grandma would pick the chicken up and she would swirl it body by the head the head just pops off and they just take off running everywhere they just run around like a chicken with its head cut off but that's what it was happening that's that, that's what happened and I remember standing there and I remember saying and I called her Mimo. I remember saying Mimo, if you keep doing that Jesus isn't going to like you very much <laughs> innocent statement right but look was what was below that that her actions, or in order for Jesus to love us or like us, our actions had to conform to what he said. It's very common, and it's a common misunderstanding that we have in the church today. We're not saved based upon what we do. And if we believe that, we're lost. We're saved based upon what Christ did, and we have to plant those seeds in our children so they don't get confused with that. And we're going to see it play out right here about the Jews. Paul says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they may be saved. Again, he's concerned over his brothers and sisters, the Jews. And his prayer is that they might be saved. But yet he says something rather astounding, for I bear them witness, he's testifying on their behalf, that they have a zeal for God. And this kind of brings us back to what I said last week. There are those that think that, well, I do the best I can, and God will understand in the end, and it'll all work out. That's not going to work. Because the Jews were zealous for God. Everything they did during the course of a day was based on them being able to please God. Those that I hear say I do the best I can and God will understand, they're not zealous for God. They're zealous for themselves. And they just want God or believe God's going to understand. 
So if those who were actually zealous for God, if they don't make it, the others have no hope. No hope whatsoever. They were zealous for God. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So what did they not know? And he tells us in verse 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here's the answer. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God in, in multiple ways. But how do we know that they were ignorant of the righteousness of God? Because they tried to establish it on their own. They thought that they could do it on their own. They thought that they could do certain things and they could establish the righteousness of God on their own. And how did they try to establish that righteousness? Based on what they did. Based upon their good works. Based upon trying to bring their actions in conformity to what they believe God wanted them to do. Or not do. Whatever the case may be. I'll show you a few scriptures to support this. Romans 3, 21 and 22, Paul. But now the righteousness of God, righteousness of God, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So we have the righteousness of God, and it's being separated from the law because they sought to gain it through the law, but he separated it from the law. John, there should be another one on that one as well. I don't know why they're not showing up on my iPad. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Here it is. How do we find the righteousness of God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how his righteousness is found. His righteousness is not found by trying to bring our actions in conformity with the law because we fail. You've heard me say it probably a thousand times. You cannot do it. If we just understand how horribly terrible we are at doing that. I mean, just from the idea that the thoughts that go on between these ears... Or horrific. We fail at being able to keep and abide by his law. <clears throat> so we gain righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Only for all who believe. So without that faith, no righteousness. So you can grow up and do everything that you think you should do and you will not gain the righteousness of God impossible because that's what the Jews did and they were good at it they kept the commands they prayed a jillion times a day they did everything that they thought they were supposed to do and yet they failed now Philippians 3 8 9 Paul had just and if you read the verses prior to this he had just set up his own self-righteousness and how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews circumcised the eighth day born of the tribe of Benjamin, talked about everything that he had done. Yet, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. They are worthless in order that I may gain, gain Christ. John, you'll have to hit the next slide, please. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. It didn't matter how many times a day he prayed. It didn't matter when he went to the temple. It didn't matter all those things that he did. Those were worthless. But it was the righteousness that came through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That was the only thing that mattered for Paul. Even though he had done all these wonderful and great things, he counted them as rubbish. And instead, the only thing that mattered was that his righteousness came through faith in Christ. And finally, we get to verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ for righteousness. I said that last week. That's the key. That's how we are able to gain eternal life, is faith in Christ Jesus. He is the end of the law. The law was fulfilled in him. So what is the problem with us trying to keep the law in order to gain our salvation? We are dishonoring Christ when we do that. We are stealing his glory. When we think we can do whatever it is to gain salvation... We steal the glory that's rightfully His. Because He was the only one that was able to accomplish that. We're saying that we really don't need Him. That we can do it on our own. That we're pretty good. When you compare it to all the other pathetic human beings that aren't named what we are named. Right? That, that, that's what we're doing. That's how we see things. We're saying that we can do it by ourselves. But yet at the same time, we need to be careful. Does this mean that the law has no place in the life of a Christian? No. May it never be, as Paul likes to say. We must submit to Christ's righteousness and His perfection. And it is after that submission to His righteousness and His perfection that His joy changes our desire to where we don't desire that sin that so entangled us before, but we desire to please God. And part of that desire to please God is keeping His law. We have to understand that it is still Christ who is working in and through us, enabling us to do that. So what I've done is, is take a long time to explain the, the distinction between justification and sanctification. They both come in the power of Christ. But the only time that any work is involved is during sanctification. And that work still yet flows directly from Christ Jesus. So as I close, I want us to make sure that we submit to the righteousness of Christ that we understand why we have eternal life. We have to get that right. 
we have to understand and get that right. And we may have some idea in our head that, yeah, 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 but still yet, I've got to do this, this, that, and the other. We have to get that correct before we can teach it to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, whatever the case may be. Don't let, don't let our children to believe that if they are kind to their neighbors, then God's going to save them. That's a lie, and that's not correct. Those are bad seeds that produce bad fruit. Help them to understand that it's only the belief in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that will end in their salvation. And then when He saves them or when He saves us, His Spirit creates within us a desire to be like Him, a desire to serve Him, which means that we're in a battle with sin for the rest of our lives. Dads and moms, please get this right. Please understand the distinction. And please make sure your children understand the distinction because eternity depends on this distinction. Get it right in your life before you try to teach them how to get it right. Let them know that it's Jesus' righteousness and not their own because it is a big deal. And as seed planters, we owe it to them. We owe it to Him more than we owe anything else to them in their entire lives is to make sure we plant seeds and we plant the correct seeds so that the proper fruit is grown. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, we thank You for the children that are in our lives. Oh, how precious and beautiful they are. Father, we thank You for mothers and grandmothers like Eunice and Lois that have deposited wonderful things in each one of our lives. And Father, we thank you for fathers. And Lord, as fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers that are in this building, Lord, we pray that you help us to fulfill our duty, that you've asked us to be the spiritual heads of the household, that we may be able to plant seeds just like moms and grandmas, but according to your word. But Father, help us to plant the correct ones. Help us to know and understand first in our own lives that it's not our own righteousness that gains us eternal life, but it is in Christ Jesus' righteousness that we have that faith, and it is that faith in him and through him that gains us eternal life. Then and only then does your spirit work within us so that we may produce fruit fruit of good works that is glorifying unto you, Father. Help us to get it right in our lives. Help us to get it right in our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren's lives so that they truly know what it is to be a Christian and to live a Christian life. Again, Lord, we thank you for moms and dads. We thank you for the joys that we share in celebrating them. And Father, We just ask that you are glorified by all that we do and say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All rise. May the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all. Have a wonderful week and be safe. Amen.